Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 108. It's an exciting day. It's your old pal DJ Payne here and this fortnight, like every episode, Matthew Jacoby and I sit down, but unlike every episode, today, marketing your calendar, it begins our journey through the gospel of Luke, the gospel written by Luke. And this is exciting. I'm so excited. As, as much as we've enjoyed the journey through the Old Testament over the last few months, I'm so excited to get into this story. This is all about the person that we hang our entire faith and existence on. This is so exciting, and I'm going to say it like I say it every every time. Gospel of Luke, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Let's get into it next here. Make sure you've got your Bible. Make sure you've got your uh, little copy there of Thrive, the daily reading guide. And let's get into the Gospel of Luke here on Thrive Deeper. Just for the record, I just want to put this out here, Matt. We're we're beginning the Gospel of Luke today on this 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 episode of Drive yep. Deeper. I'm so excited for it. But uh, we have spent the last hour and a half. <laughs> Actually, it's true. I got here at, all, at eleven, and it's twelve thirty. It's you. We've just spent the last hour and a half. We should have been recording an entire another episode about <laughs> completely different things. We're talking about culture. Politics. We're on the back of uh, of Thrive Perspectives, yeah. uh, you know, doing uh, you know doing two episodes there about uh, politics, and uh, you know, there's a lot of fallout about talking about politics, both in listeners and even in our own relationship mm. and our, our own our own thinking and stuff, and having to both of us rethink of that. So we're so it feels like we're recording a separate <laughs> a second. Well, it's it's related because uh, uh, as we come to look at. The life and teaching of Jesus, and, yeah. and I, I'm also excited about getting into this. Something that you just need to. I'm so glad there's four gospels, yes, because every now and again you've got to come back to the life and teaching of Jesus. And I love the four different perspectives yep. that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us. And and I love in the gospels the way that Jesus just keeps pointing to a deeper problem and a higher solution. Oh, and, and, it's, and you that, know, and and, and these people are always wanting to point to the level of earthly kingdoms yes. and, and earthly politics and and Jesus is again pointing to a deeper problem yeah. and a higher solution. I, I tell you right now in 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 my life and in all the different studies that we've got going on, getting into the Gospel of Luke again mm. has been such Yeah. <sighs> yep. It has been cool water <laughs> in in yeah. a life on fire almost, you know. Yeah. So uh you know, so we're getting into into the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to throw a question. I thought I'd throw a really curly question to begin with. Yeah. We've got four different Gospels yeah. in, in, in our Bibles, mm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, named after, obviously, the yeah. writers of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Why have we got four? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that we do have the four, and this is from very early on, the four Gospels, and even in the early church, Literature. The, the first generation of church fathers are talking about the fourfold gospel. Mm. So this is, you know, these four were, were accepted very early on as the authoritative um, account of the life of Jesus. And I yeah. say that because there's some, uh, you know, th- there were other 
versions of the life of Jesus that yes. were um, that was sort of that were floating around. And in fact, Luke, as we'll see at the start, refers to other accounts of the life of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but these were put together during the lifetimes of people that were there. Yeah. Uh, and it was really only these th- these four that cut it. Well, the fourth gospel, John, is the is the latest. Yes. Um, so, but that is put together by someone who was there mm, uh, as mm. well. So, um, so uh, why four? Well, um, we have these four accounts. Okay, that were accepted as you know being authoritative right from the start. Uh, that were accepted as being a faithful account of the life of Jesus. It's interesting because there are some differences between the four, but the differences are differences of perspective and differences of agenda. Now, this isn't um, history writing or biography writing. These aren't straight biographies uh, because what the writers are doing are not just presenting bare naked facts. They are presenting facts, um, but they are... Uh, interpreted facts. Yeah. <clears throat> so and there's they, a, the reason why they're presenting the facts in the way that they're presenting them. Yeah, that's right. And so they they order things in in a way that suits the the, the thing that they want to say yes. uh, about Jesus. Uh, and so they're each saying something very much related, but a slightly different perspective. And this mm-hmm. is what's I think so rich about these four gospels is that they do come with with these different perspectives yeah. and and they bring something slightly different to the table. So it's a little bit like the way that the events are, are ordered. Um, it's a little bit like if, let's say, you inherited a chest full of um, uh, photos from a relative that had just passed away, right? And you yes. want to put these photos into a book, right? Yeah, yeah. And you see, um, you know, let's say it's, it's your you, you know, your great aunt or something, and yep. there's great aunt uh, Matilda or whatever, uh, you know, all of these as her as a beach as a child, right? Yep. And so you put all of those beach ones into, you know, into one section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though they may have all happened at different times, yes. and but you're going you're, you're gonna to order it sort of thematically. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Gospels uh, are at times a little like that in uh, the be, way that they order and the events. Be, and because I'm such a, a movie junkie, uh, you know, entertainment junkie. Yeah. I always say about it: if you gave um, four different directors, yeah, the same right. story, yeah, you know, this director is going to tell it backwards because yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. This director is going to tell it with this theme and yeah. this genre, and make this person, you know, you know, okay, like the different directors will tell us tell the same story in a completely different way, depending on the mood and the feeling they want wanting to convey, the message they want yeah. to convey in that story. Yeah, that's right. And I and I, and I see that in the gospel, in the four gospels. One one last thing, and, and again, I didn't give you any warning about this, Matt, so apologies if you don't want to <laughs> talk about this. I, I've seen recently, especially amongst Orthodox Christians um, and, you know, in different traditions, the four gospels often being layered on top of or mirrored with uh, the four living creatures that we see in Old Testament prophecy mm. and in the Book of Revelation, you know, and again, we yeah. don't get it yeah. from the text yeah. itself. It doesn't say, "Hey, yeah. and listen, we've got four gospels because of four living creatures that we see in heaven" or anything like that. Yeah. But over tradition, you know, over yeah. the thousands of years, uh, we've seen iconography, we've yeah. seen tradition, we've seen pictures and allusions to the two things sort of merging into one. Your thoughts on that? Uh, look, it's. Uh, it's a feature, and it is. A, it's a feature that goes right back, actually, to the the um, that sort of associate. Now, it's not a 
necessarily a biblical association, but they became symbols mm. uh, of the gospel. Uh, and, and I'm not actually sure on why, you know, yeah. uh, it, it, they were assigned these particular symbols. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think the connection to the four living creatures is, no. I, you know, I don't think that's there's really much in that. But mm. um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else I can say about. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you, I'll give you the, my first little rabbit trail about about Luke, the author Luke, is that um, early church tradition, and when I say early church tradition, I'm talking about the first, you know, like 500 AD, yeah. 800 AD, um, had Luke being the first icon artist there's a tr- there's a there's an early tradition that when Luke wrote his 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 gospel he also drew pictures okay and and those pictures became you know you, you love the you love the uh, early traditions yeah. don't you really get I just, to those I, I love holes. I love that because there's something about as I've gone down this little rabbit hole of 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 reading some people's thoughts about mm-hmm. the four living creatures the four gospels and again it's interesting and it makes yep. you think, and I appreciate that. I'm not saying it's anything necessary to doctrine or salvation yep. or anything like that. But it's, uh, you know, there's this little extra tidbit of Luke being responsible for yep. the early church's mm. love of mm. icons and pictures and saints and things like yep. that is because he drew, <laughs> yeah, he drew, he drew his stories. I, I just find that well, really well, interesting uh, to note that Luke is the longest of the Gospels. Well, uh, well, Luke, okay, so so here we, let's let's get into the introduction here to Luke proper. Okay, Luke um, writes a massive mm. portion of the New Testament, twenty seven point five percent. Yeah, is he is the in the New Testament he has most of the New Testament is written by Luke. Yeah. As in, he's, he's because your, he write, writes Luke's Luke and Acts. Yes, yep. yeah, That's yeah. Right. So Luke and Acts, written by the same person, yeah. the same sort of like two part volume yeah. of you know amazing, amazing mm. two part volume going from before you know Christ's yeah. birth all the way through to you know That's Paul, right. you know yeah, the early church, yeah, you yeah. know you know the, the, all these years covering a window of time of about you know fifty to sixty years. Yeah. These two works, and the volume of the work makes up twenty seven point five percent of the New Testament. Yeah. I, I don't think I've heard that statistic before, but that's an interesting one. Yeah, and 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 again, there's many writers in the New Testament, and we often think, oh, Paul's written most of the New Testament. Well, actually, no, Luke did. Yeah, and the other fact here, as we get, into, let's have a look at Luke the person. We don't know much about Luke the yeah. person, but I think we can. I believe we can safely say that Luke. Um, you know, was obviously a very good friend of Paul, a traveler with Paul. Yeah, um, and he was a a, a non Jew. He was he was a, a Gentile. He was, yep. according to early church, yeah, yeah that's right. Earlier church tradition, yep. he's he's from and Antioch. That, that's, he's, that's he's, the he's majority Greek. still. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, so he he's most probably Luke is a what what was known as a God fearing Gentile. That they think because he seems yep. to have. Uh, he seems to have some biblical background. Yes, and it also uh, we see that throughout Acts, there's a he will often mention the Jews and the God fearing Gentiles, yep. which normally they wouldn't necessarily get a mention, but for him that's significant. Mm. Uh, if if in fact he was a what you call a God fearing Gentile, so a God fearing Gentile is someone who was uh, drawn to Jewish monotheism, mm-hmm. 
but wasn't a fully fledged circumcised Jew. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so probably that's what this Greek Doctor Luke, yeah, you know, is you yeah. know, is someone who's come from you know a, a God fearing background, that's right. and and then and then sees now. And I, you mentioned he's a physician as well. He was a, he was yeah, well, a doctor as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was someone involved in um, in a very early. <laughs> You yeah. know, you know the turn. You know the you know the, the you know around you know around the time of Christ. What yeah. does what did a physician have at hands? Well, you know, not like the type yeah. of things that we had here. There wasn't even uh, in doing some of the work around the criticism around Luke. I was fascinated to find that, um, you know, people debating whether what type of doctor he was, what does this actually mean, and everything yeah. like that. The, there wasn't even a medical language. Back no. then, for him to use yeah. to show that he was a doctor, yeah. but it sh- but there's a very much a overwhelming scholarly uh, scholarly work. Like there's a real he's obviously a researcher. Mm. He's into facts. Yeah. He's into recording. Sometimes he's a little bit obsessed around the physical things that are yep. happening. Yeah, that's right. You see that reflected throughout that, especially gospel. in the healings. Yep. Yep. You know the healings of Christ. He's very interested yep. in the healings of Christ. Um, and even through the through the through the book of Acts, and we'll get to the book of Acts one day. But I love in the you know, and again, in studying Luke and looking at Luke over the last couple of weeks, getting ready for this, looking at the looking at the work of Acts as well. It's so it's so fascinating of how you can put the clues yeah. together when he talks about. We don't get it in the Gospel of Luke, but we get it in yeah. Acts where he says we. Yeah, you know, there's times in Acts, there's different passages in Acts where it'll talk. He'll talk in the third person, Luke will, yeah. because he's saying things that he wasn't involved in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when they get to Antioch, he goes, and then we. Yeah, without you know, saying that I joined or yeah, yeah, yeah. suddenly it's we. Yeah, yeah. That's right. he still stays in the background, but he's in there. And and because of that work in the in the gospel in the, sorry, the gospel, in the book of Acts of the Apostles, I believe that he wasn't part of Jesus's, you know, crew you know, of the period, because he doesn't use we in any mm. of the Gospels. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But there is, but again, I say that because there are some people who do believe that Luke was part of the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out, who was part of, you know, some... Mm. I, yeah, pro- I, I, I would, no, I, I don't think, particularly if he was a Gentile, even a God-fearing Gentile, I don't think there's any way that that... That that would have been the case, but agreed. Um, but he certainly uh, had strong associations with the apostles, oh. and, uh, and and so he's able to draw on eyewitness accounts, and yeah. and he says, and I think this is where it's worth reading the first uh, first few verses. He says, "Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us." Now that's an interesting statement. That so he's acknowledging that yeah. many have drawn up accounts. So. From early on, uh, people wrote things down, he, he's saying. Hmm. Um, now, that goes against this idea that it was all just passed on like Chinese whispers yes. and it all changed on, on the way and, you know, uh, got exaggerated. Um, well, uh, he's able to draw on a lot of different accounts as well as on eyewitnesses. He says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Okay, so he's hmm. got drawn up uh, – drawn. Accounts, yes. written accounts, plus eyewitness testimony. Yep. And then he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, mm. uh, I decide, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most ex- excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Love it. 
Now, he's probably Theophilus um, is also probably a Gentile believer, mm-hmm. um, and and probably in a situation, particularly once things start heating up and there's a bit of persecution, uh, as things get more difficult, particularly. Uh, not only persecution from uh, the authorities, but particularly persecution, like Jewish persecution um, as well in, in the early days. This is probably a guy who's thinking, am I going to see this through? You know, yeah. uh, And it certainly, it looks like Luke is writing to Theophilus to encourage him, keep going, yeah. like keep on in your faith. Now that is, a gr- I mean... And so in this sense, Theophilus stands for really the whole of the church at this time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the perfect, you know, Theophilus, while it's addressed to this certain, this new Gentile believer, in, in, in many ways, Luke is a book that speaks to that, um, that emerging Gentile hmm. world church. And, it, it, and in some ways, Luke then becomes the gospel that is in some ways the most accessible. Yeah, of the gospels. I, I, I look I, again. I hate, because of that, you know, I, I hate to do this, and, and it depends on what gospel you're reading at the time. I mean, I gravitate between Luke, Luke and John. It's my favorite, you know. But then I read Matthew, yeah. and I go, "Oh man, I love Matthew." Yeah. Um, you know, but there's something about Luke. There's so much detail yeah. in what he's writing, and it's yeah. such a it's such a an amazing vision. That he's he's got yeah. of 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 this life and why we why we believe it, and and again that overarching idea is of him doing all of this research, and you, and you imagine this Greek doctor yeah. of the of the first century there in this time who who loves the Lord has seen the Messiah you know yeah. has seen the church growing and he's wanting to write. Yeah, you know, a, a really accurate, mm. dis, you know, account of everything, yeah. and inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a beautiful work because remember Jesus said that uh, he said that the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that I've said. Mm. You know, so, so there was, you know, Jesus predicted the work of the Holy Spirit in really enabling the apostles to. Yeah. Uh, to, look, not only that, but oral tradition was a much bigger part of this culture. Yeah. Uh, so, in t- so listening and remembering, mm. they were way better at that than we, we have. All this information goes in one ear and out the other. Yeah. So it's difficult for us to imagine yeah. walking away from the Sermon on the Mount and remembering it. Yes. But this is quite common in in those days. It was quite common to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's an interesting oral the whole oral culture thing yeah. is interesting in in itself. So so for example in Greek culture the um there were like bards who would recite the whole of uh for example Homer's Odyssey or, or wow. the Iliad wow. and they would recite the whole thing. Yeah. And that was quite common. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, if that was the case today they'd be on they'd be on you know, Australia's Got Talent or something, I don't <laughs> yeah. know, whatever. The, you know, it, the, the amazing memory, yes. yeah, yeah, the amazing yeah. memory of such and such, yeah. whereas this is f- quite common in the ancient world and for even, people to memorise things. Even if you look at the practice of how um, young Jewish, at, at the time of Jesus, yeah. you know, and, and, and ran about this time, how Jewish, what Jewish school was like for young men, yeah. um, a lot of it was just rote memorization of entire books. That's you know, right. You, you learn... You know the entire book of Exodus. You yeah. know, so you learn all these. You know, these. these that's right. That's what education was. That's about. right. I mean, it's quite likely that Paul would have known what yeah. we now know as the Old Testament by heart. Yeah, 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's serious, serious memory work. So, so what he says here is that he's drawn on, on the, the eyewitness testimony of those that were there and remembered it, okay? Mm. Um, and he has also drawn on written accounts. Now, probably is drawing on um, uh, at least Mark. Yeah, at least Mark. Yeah, at, yep. at this stage. Plus other – because there, there are things that clearly Mark and Luke – are both drawing on similar accounts. There's some yes. evidence that that's yep. the case. Um, so there, we do have evidence actually of other of other yep. accounts, and he's putting this together for Theophilus to explain what kind of like be inspired by the kind of movement. This is a move of God. That's a great. You but, are part of a move of God, Theophilus. So do not give up. What a great message for us today! And and if we yeah, amen, amen. And that and again, those those first four verses, which I think in the original Greek that he's writing in is one complete sentence. Yeah, you know, it's one opening. You know, beautiful. You know, statement here. He alludes to so much. He alludes to the promises of God that th- this is why he's writing yeah. because he's 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 sort of fulfilling this promise yeah. in in writing it. And he and he and he removes himself very much. We're not going to see a lot of Luke in the Gospel of Luke as far as his. Personality or, or things like that. I think he sort of removes himself a lot from it, um, but he does have some themes. And as you point out, as as, as writing to a new believer, yeah. Theophilus, one of the themes I believe that in the in the Gospel of Luke is, and there's there's you know quite a few themes, is um, more than the other Gospels, he's really interested in the work of the Holy Spirit yeah. in the life of Christ. Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah, and if you're writing to a new Christian. You want to say that you know this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. It's the same Holy Spirit that's that you know. Right, yeah. So there's a real promise of what the Holy Spirit you know is doing in yeah, the life of right, believer. Yeah. That you, if if you keep that in mind as we begin to journey through Luke, you'll notice it more. Yeah. But then there's also, and I don't think the whole thematic thing here, and Matt, you might um, have something else in mind. And there's a few different ways you can say it. But you know, when we are introduced to Christ in his in his public adult mm. life. We get the beautiful scene in Luke where he reads from the yeah. scroll of Isaiah and he says, you know, I'm here for freedom. I'm here for the yeah. poor. I'm here for the oppressed. Yeah. I'm here for – and those themes mm. of God being the God of the social outcasts, yeah. you know, whether you're a social outcast and you're rich yeah. or you're a social outcast and you're poor, whether you're a Gentile believer like yeah. he is yeah. – there's a theme here of of God being concerned with those yeah who, who culture that's isn't, right isn't and, and that's and that this was a you know issue in in the early church uh, the first of all the issue of Jew and Gentile there's a obviously um, was a concern about that and yeah. you know the fact that the Jews rejected Jesus that's and and so that's quite a theme in uh, in Luke's account of Christ and the early church yeah. Um, uh, the question of salvation for Gentiles, you know, that's the, the work of the Holy Spirit, yeah. as you said, in in kind of uh, uh, reaching the Gentiles and then being gathered in. So that's mm-hmm. a theme as well. So the, the, these, you can see that in the early church, that I know it's hard for us to imagine, but the yeah. Jew-Gentile thing was a big thing. Massive. Uh, so he's probably writing. This actually is what. I think really helps us to locate. There's a couple of things that help us to locate uh, the dating, probably of this of that this gospel, and point, yeah. and, um, and these the themes 
is one because it really it looks like the kinds of things that were happening in that first generation of the Christian church. The big issues yeah. are really addressed in in the Gospel of Luke because there are some people that want to push this later. And it just doesn't look like it's dealing with the I, kinds of issues that it, were going on later. I'm with you. It on that. looks like the Jew-Gentile issues um, uh, that that seem to be uh, really um, uh, hot topics mm. in, in that in this um, at that time. In that, so we're probably thinking around. Uh, you know, 63, 64 probably is yep. most probably when this was written. Now, I say that partly because it's quite likely that he finishes writing Luke and Acts before Paul is executed because you think surely he would have have recorded the martyrdom of Paul. Exactly. Yeah, surely he would have. Yep. Now, I mean, yes, he wa- like Acts finishes with the gospel in Rome and, and, and that kind of suits his theme because the, you know, the gospel to the nations. Um, but not you know not mentioning um, not mentioning Paul's execution I think is which happened in about probably six, about sixty six yeah. yeah now some people say it must have been written after the destruction of the temple by the Romans in seventy A D and um, and they say that because he, he Luke has Jesus describing that event beforehand yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I mean. Yeah, he's Jesus, isn't he? So, he- and the and, and the other problem with the view, obviously, there's a there's a problem of people wanting to date it later because they don't believe in the supernatural, you know, prophecy elements. Yeah. But the other part of it is, I believe that Luke as a, as the He's not a, again. We've already made this point. He's not writing this as as, as yep. a history book. Yeah, but he's is concerned with history and he puts a lot of history into yeah. it and facts and details. If the if if it was after the destruction of Jerusalem, after you know, in seventy yeah. AD. I believe that Luke would have said, and you know, and look, it happened exactly like Jesus said. Yeah, that's yeah. It, but he it, doesn't. He just leaves it as a prophecy yeah, exactly. open-ended. For and the and future. the fact that he's saying that, you know, I've, I've, I'm talking to eyewitnesses. And, yeah. I mean, it's more likely that, again, if this is within a gen, the sort of forty year generation. Yeah. I mean, if if the crucifixion takes place around thirty somewhere, you know, look. Uh, you know, I think around sixty, you know, sixty three, sixty four yeah. is the most reasonable, and that's that's certainly and, amongst and, evangelical scholars. That's probably the and and and, and again, tradition. imagine imagine that Luke has spent years, you know, two, three, four, five years working on this. Yeah, you know, it may be long. You know, he's been yeah, pulling right. it. To, he's been interviewing. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to look back at time and there's, you know, this Gentile yeah. Luke. Coming in with Paul, and he gets a chance to sit down with John. He yeah. gets a chance to sit down yeah, with James. Yeah. He's like, "Now this is what I'm working on. Tell me, Mark, you've got your gospel. Yeah. Can I have a look? Yeah. You know, tell me what you think. Yeah. I've got this fact, and yeah. you know, I've done this research." Right. Now it's also interesting to note that he starts the uh, he starts at the earliest point of all of the other gospels. It's the longest gospel, yeah. but it's, it also covers the greatest time. He also covers the greatest time period, not yeah. only on the Acts. End because yes. he has this sequel, so after what happened afterwards in the yep. early Christian movement, but he also goes back earlier. Yeah. So he and, and this is significant. So Luke begins his account not with Jesus, mm. uh, not even with the birth of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus. Yeah. Not only does he begin with the birth of Jesus, he goes uh, to the prophet that uh, anointed. Jesus. Not even does he begin with John, yeah. but he, and not only does he even begin with the birth of John, <laughs> the prophet who anointed yeah. uh, Jesus, yes. but he begins with the account of the miraculous 
yeah. conception. Mm. Now, now get this. So he begins with the account of the miraculous conception of the prophet who anointed the king. Now, can you think <laughs> of another book of the Bible that begins yeah. the account of the king by beginning of, with an account of the miraculous birth of the prophet who anoints the king? Yeah. First Samuel. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, same, it's, it's the same patterning. Mm. So First Samuel begins with the story of Hannah and Elkanah, and Hannah is barren and she can't have children, yeah. and she prays, and miraculously she's, uh, she uh, conceives and gives birth to Samuel. Yeah. And Samuel is the prophet who anoints the king. Yeah. Now, what, what do you think is the significant, significance of starting there? Well, there's a, I think there's a lot of significance, <laughs> But I, I think Luke, if, he, if, if, if we agree that Luke is someone who knows the Jewish books, he knows the, yeah. he knows the, yeah. the Old Testament, you know, our Old Testament, that he, though Luke is really unusual because he doesn't do a lot of quoting, he doesn't quote great yeah. passages of prophecy or something mm-hmm. like that, but there is definitely a work of him outlaying this early part of, of John the Baptist and Jesus' yeah. life on top of all these Old Testament prophecies. Yeah, and this, this, is, this is where he is clearly a biblically literate Gentile yeah. because he's not, he's not just quoting, he's not just um, cherry-picking no. bits and pieces from the Old Testament. He's he actually shows yeah. a thematic patterning. Mm. Now, I mean, look, it, he's not making up the events. The events no. actually happened. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that they happened in a way that Mirror that mirrored the lead up to David. Given that the Messiah, the role of Messiah, was always envisaged in the prophetic material as being the the son of David, mm. the one who would fulfil the the kingship that was announced at the time of David. Mm. And so David becomes this prefiguration of the Messiah, and the Messiah mm. is always referred to as the as the son of David. So it then becomes significant for Luke. He notices, ah, okay, so the events that led to Jesus' anointing, and when I say anointing, I mean his baptism, yes. uh, are the same as in First Samuel. So the question mm. is, why does the writer of First Samuel begin where he begins? Why begin with the birth narrative of Samuel? You know, yeah, like wh- good, why not just yeah, that's say, a good question. yeah, why not, why not just talk about, you know, Saul and, yeah. uh, and, 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 and David and, you know, wh- why the big deal about Samuel? That's a very good question. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever thought of that. That's a- well, this also is tied into a very, very important theme. Yeah. And the theme is that the word always precedes, the, the divine word always precedes divine action. Yeah. There is divine word. God said, yes, and it was. Yeah, that's basically the pattern of yeah, the whole yeah. of Scripture. Okay, I love it. I love so it. so the prophet really embodies uh, this the, the bringing of the word, the announcing that the the uh, the announcement of what God's going to do. Mm. And the important thing about uh, Christ is that this is not just some guy that turns up and invents a role for himself. Mm. And no, no, this is a predefined thing that had been announced beforehand, mm. and. Um, and so you, you get this uh, you get this theme of fulfilment. I mean, it's in all the theme of fulfilment is very important in all of the uh, in all of the gospels. Mm. Um, and you get this same idea, and it's in the history that God sends a prophet to prepare the way. Yeah. And 
preparing the way is one of announcement. It begins with the word and then the event. And you can be part of the event if you listen to the word. I love it. I love like it. The, the, like we could just dwell on that for a moment. You know what I mean? It's like God is going to do something. So what he does is that he, he announces this. And if, if you listen to God, if you listen to the word of God, then you can be part of the thing that God is going to do. And we, and we want to get it backwards. Yeah. In our own life today as Christians. Yeah, we so want often, something to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I'm waiting for something to happen and then I'll get into the Word. Like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Actually, when we connect with the Word of God, we are positioned in a way that we can be part of the act of God. And so this is Luke showing that just the same way that God has patented throughout the entire the Old Testament, God is going to make announcements, God is going to make promises, going, God is going to do all this yeah. action that leads to the action of yeah, that's of, right. of, of, and, of and that's of why Christ. that's right. And that's why in Samuel the the it's like the miraculous provision of this prophet, you know, and particularly when something really important is going to happen, you know, mm. it's like the the emphasis on this prophet. And we don't get a birth narrative for Elijah or, no. or Elisha or uh, but uh, but we do for Moses, yes, don't we? Yes, uh, and and then we do for we do for Samuel, and yeah. and that they actually are the 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 ones that sort of usher in the next big prophetic m- moment, like the moment, uh, sorry, the next big covenant moment. Yeah, you know, so we get the birth narrative of the you know the prophet that um uh that brings about the you know uh the covenant with Israel. Yes. But the next big step is going to be the the kingship, yeah, and the uh, you know the, the Davidic promise and, mm. and so forth. And so, this is you know Samuel is the one who really ushers in the the, the kingship. This is a whole study. You want me to? Go, I, I want to go down yeah. now and look at the the narratives of births that we have in the in the Bible. Like yeah. when what 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 characters are given the most ground with with the story of their births. That's yeah. a fascinating yeah. see see because it's not you it's know, not just in it, their randomness. That's right, because first Samuel it's I mean and the point is here, it's not about David. It's about the fulfillment of God's word. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, God had promised them uh, in Deuteronomy or that there would be kings and, mm-hmm. and that they should not be like the other nations around da- and David becomes this godly king, right? Mm-hmm. And um and so uh, the you know S- Samuel is the, is the prophet. He's the one that announces the word. He's the one that brings the message, and that and so the the emphasis on Samuel means that it's the word. It's the prophet who is really in in a some sense the most important figure here. Yeah, it's you know it's the uh, it's the word being upheld. It's the word of the Lord, mm. and even the way that you see throughout. The narratives of the kings, the way that the prophets are really—they uh, have this right to yeah. rebuke kings. It's like the word of God is up here, yes. and then the kings are kind of under there. I yeah. mean, you know, the, the role of the prophets isn't to rule and administrate, but boy, oh boy, they—they—they they, they they can come same. in and 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 play play a trump card to use it probably uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they can play a they can play a trump card, you know. Say, so I'm speaking on behalf of God because the word of God reigns supreme. Yeah, and you know that that again is happening. That same emphasis that we see in First Samuel, uh, where the emphasis is is on the prophet who who anoints the king. You get mm. that same patterning, 
But with Jesus, it's it's different because the focus is on is on Jesus, of course, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yet, it's the same it's the same patterning to emphasize the fact that this comes about as the fulfillment of the word, and so you have this prophet uh, that is. You know, we, we, we hear about his birth and you yeah. think, ah, oh, okay. So straight away, the miraculous birth as well. Um, uh, this is like that. Yes. You yes. Know? And then, you know, and so you get this prophetic activity leading up to this. And, and so the, the narrative patterning is part of the, the thing for Luke, yeah. identifying the fact that, no, Jesus uh, is the one because you could not have faked this. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, well, let's get into the details. Let's take a quick break and we'll get into the details about these first few chapters here of, of the Gospel of Luke and what all this, you know, word and prophecy is all about as we get into the life of Christ next here on Thrive Deeper. G'day family, it's your good buddy DJ Payne here and I hate to interrupt this introduction to the Gospel of Luke that we're doing here on Thrive Deeper 108 but I've got something I want to give you for free, that's right, I want to give you the latest copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide for free, no strings attached, absolutely for free. All you do is head over to the Thrive Today website, that's thrivetoday.tv, so go on, open up your web browser now. Whatever you've got, Google, Chrome, Firefox, Safari, whatever you're using, open up your uh, browser and head over to thrivetoday.tv. Head over there and once you're there, scroll down to the bottom, scroll down to the very bottom and you will see uh, a little note about getting the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. Hit that little Learn More button there, hit that little Learn More and that takes you to our online store. The Bible reading guide there that you can see, you can get the Thrive Current Issue, a physical or ebook version. I want you to hit that and you'll see our latest copy that takes you through November 2020 all the way through to January 2021. All about the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man. Now you can select either the ebook edition, an electronic uh, edition for your device, or if you're in Australia, and only if you're in Australia, you can select the physical copy. All right, so does that make sense? Anywhere around the world, you can select the ebook edition for free, and we send it to you for free. Or if you're in Australia, you can get the electronic vi- version or the physical copy, and we post it to you for free. So all you need to do is use the coupon code DEEPER. That's right. Use the coupon code DEEPER. Select what you want. Head towards the checkout cart. You know how to order something online. And use the coupon code DEEPER. Now, if you're having any trouble, please reach out to us. Send us a message at thrivetoday.tv. There you go. If you have yet to take hold of that offer, or you've got someone you'd love to to, uh, know about it, let them know because the offer is going to finish very, very shortly. We haven't got very many copies left to give away for free. So please get involved. Get your copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide for free on us. Consider it an early Christmas present. All right, let's get back into the Gospel of Luke 
here on Thrive Zima. It's your friends DJ and Matthew here, and we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. This is our first episode dedicated of, uh, you know, Thrive Deeper here to to this new Gospel as we enter into a brand new copy of uh, Thrive Daily Reading Guide into this Gospel. And Matt, you've just been outlying there the reasons why, behind the scenes, uh, Luke, the writer, in telling the story of Christ, doesn't start at the birth of Christ. That's right. He goes back yep. and talks about the birth of his cousin. You know, yep. there's this 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 prophet here. Who is the prophet who prepares the way? Yeah, yeah. that's right. And he, and, he, and he not only does he not start at the birth of John the Baptist. Yeah, he goes back even a step further about the miraculous birth and the and the and the conception. Im- yeah, the conception here. So the the um the amazing thing here is to keep in mind, especially apart this this early part of Christ's life, is that. Luke is talking to, as he says right at the beginning, he's talking to eyewitnesses. Yeah. But a lot of these eyewitnesses, a lot of the people that he's 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 recording here in yeah. in the first few chapters, are long dead yeah. by the time yeah, he gets right. he yeah. comes and works on this. Yeah. So he's talking to people new. He's putting together. You know, I love to think that maybe Mary, the mother of Jesus, or the people who are close yeah. to Jesus, the family, are being able to yeah. tell him these family yeah. stories. Yeah, that's ar- right. Around what's yeah, going on here, and he's able to record so, it all. So to summarize where, where we got to, the, the key for both. First Samuel, because we talked about the narrative patterning, the key for both First Samuel and for Luke, and this is the same, is that they're recognizing that God does things in a way so as to emphasize that what is happening in people is actually the main thing is what God is doing in the person. So the main thing about David was what God did in David, yeah. you know, and that's why we get the whole that this, you know, the, the emphasis on the prophetic lead up. Mm. You know, uh, it's it's you know God. Um, setting apart this king. Well, we see the same thing with Jesus. Luke wants Theophilus and the early church to see that Jesus isn't just some a ordinary, yeah. yeah, like <laughs> that. Actually, he wants them to recognize what God was doing in Jesus Christ uniquely, you know. Um, and and so uh, he starts then with this story about um, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, this couple. And so um, she's barren, and Zechariah's. Turn has come up. He's a Levite, and his turn has come up to uh, by lot to go into and, and offer incense uh, into the holy of in, holies. In, well, before the holy of holies, okay, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, before the holy of holies, because it was only the high priest that went into the. Oh, okay. So he's not the high priest. Yep, but he's still. He's it's um, a special position. Yeah, it's it's a it, and this is a regular thing that happened. But there was there were a lot of different priests, and you would only get one turn to do this in your lifetime, right? Mm. Now think about this. Uh, so it was something that happened regularly, but it was a really important moment in which symbolically you would offer this incense before the curtain of to the holy of holies, yep. and the incense would go up, and that would represent the prayers of God's people. Okay, yep. and the and. And the prayers of God's people, of course, are for God's future redemption, for all that the prophets have yep. uh, prophesied to come true. Okay, so here is Zechariah. He gets his once-in-a-lifetime moment mm. for him. This is his, this is his life moment, mm. really. Mm. And he goes in and he's on his own and everyone's waiting outside and he's offering this incense and 
the angel Gabriel turns up, <laughs> you know. And I, I, I love how this is. This is the first. There's a lot of points here, but this is the little details about the writer Luke that I love because even when he tell, he's telling that story, he paints the picture so clearly. There's Zachariah standing in the in the in the space offering the incense, and then an angel appears to the right of the incense. Like yeah. he like he doesn't just say yeah. it disappears. He says no, no, just to the right. Yeah. He, he paints the picture really clearly yeah. of what's happening, and Zachariah, you know. Melts down. He, he has, yeah, that's right. He, he's scared to death. That's right. And uh, Gabriel says to him, uh, "Your prayers have been heard." Now, the question is, what? Like, now there were probably he would have. I, you know, he would have been praying, and I mean, he would have been using this. This was a moment where he, as a priest, was representing the nation. Yeah. So he is praying. I think he's praying the prayers that you as a priest would for your nation for the redemption of God. Mm. But the beautiful thing here is that the angel also refers to his personal prayers. It's yeah. like this seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will it. be given to you as well. So he there's this kind of double reference. Like he's there symbolically offering the prayers of all of God's people mm. for God's future, the coming of the kingdom, basically. And Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard. Mm. Uh, and he says, you're going to, your wife is going to conceive and, and, and you're going to have a son. And then Gabriel gives this beautiful, like, you know, this beautiful uh, prophecy, basically, yeah. this beautiful promise around what John the Baptist will do and who he is and the character of this person. And this is a great, we see yeah. this We see this great point here, and we'll get into it, I think we're going to get into it a little bit later on, but Zechariah responds with complete and utter doubt, complete yeah. and utter this can't like this can't be. I'm too old. Even though, even though, even in the description of how we're presented to with with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, it it harkens back to Abraham. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you know, and Sarah. There, we're supposed to be thinking in this way. Yeah, we are. That's right. Yeah. And, so, and and it's interesting here how he he talks about the birth of the the, the child. Right. Mm. Your prayers. So he's Gabriel is really answering a, a prayer that they had prayed, but not so much the prayer that he was praying in front of the incense. That's yeah. the prayer for the coming of God's kingdom. Yeah. And yet the point is, is that I'm going to give you a child and he's going to be, be the there. one that, that ushers in <laughs> the, uh, you know, that announces yes. the, the, the coming of God's kingdom because, yeah. and, and he sort of does this in code, yeah, but and in a code that would have been loud and clear to a priest because he says, um, uh, so he, he, first of all, he talks about him being, he's basically going to be consecrated to the Lord. Yes. Um, he says that uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, right? So he's not going to be any ordinary prophet. See, other prophets, the Spirit came upon them yes. uh, and, and they prophesied, yep. but he is actually going to have the Holy Spirit from, uh, you know, from the right from the start. Okay? From conception. Yeah, from conception. And then it sa- he says... Uh, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So this mm. is this kind of echoes um, Elijah, actually yep. the the ministry of Elijah. Yep. Um, it says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Mm-hmm. And then he says to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make. Now that echoes something uh, in Malachi, mm. which says in Malachi chapter three, mm-hmm. see. Uh, uh, sorry, four, mm-hmm. uh, verse five. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah 
before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So, so in other words, he's saying this, he, he, Elizabeth is going to conceive and, she, and she, the child that's going to be born is going to announce, he's going to be the prophet that announces the coming of the messianic kingdom. That is loud and clear to Zechariah. Mm. So, and it's interesting then that he responds with, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in his right. So it's interesting the way that he's thinking yeah. because he's not thinking that the coming of the kingdom of God is the impossible thing here. He's mm. thinking, no, me having a child is, is, the, is the supernatural thing, you see. Yeah. Yeah. When, when actually the really – What's the hardest thing here? Yeah. You know, the hardest thing here is, is, the, is the coming of the messianic kingdom that's just been announced like it's going to – what? The coming – it should be saying, what is it really going to happen? Yeah. Now? But the point is – like, It's like Zechariah <clears throat> stopped listening after <clears throat> you, your wife is going to bear a son. He was like, just <laughs> pause right. on that. Like, Hang yeah. on, what? What? Yeah. what? Yeah. Uh, but the point is, you know, how can I be sure of this? I'm a man. Uh, you know, like this is kind of impossible. Yeah. I mean, that's – you know, the way that this happens is an important – Indicator is part of the prophetic message. This is an important indicator of how the kingdom is going to come. Mm. The kingdom that's just been announced is not going to come by natural means. Yep. It's yep. going to be a supernatural kingdom. And th- this I is, love it. You know, this is what's being indicated here. And I, and, I, and I love Gabriel's response because we don't often get, there's only a handful of times in Scripture we sort of see a little, and I think it's on purpose, you know, God's purpose. We don't get to see the personality of this angelic class of being. Yeah. These angelic spiritual yeah. beings, we don't really get to see much of their personality, what they're like. But here we sort of get a little bit of the veil yeah. being pulled back. Well, and Gabriel, Gabriel yeah. is well, like, it's, Im- it's actually important that it's Gabriel. I mean, when did we when did we last hear from Gabriel? Yeah, yeah, in the Book of Daniel, yeah. right? Yeah, Gabriel is is the one that brought these amazing messianic visions mm-hmm. to Daniel, right, yep. during the time of the exile. And it's obvious. I mean according to tradition and what we see in scripture and stuff, that there's some sort of special relationship between the angel of Gabriel and the Jewish people. Whenever God has a message specifically for the Mm. Jewish people, he often uses, you know, we see in scripture, the angel of Gabriel. And it's like, Gabriel's like, it's me. Yeah. So so particularly, yeah, particularly of this scope. I mean, you know, this is uh, because, you know, angels had delivered messengers before, but this is, you know, this is a, uh, really um, a message of apocalyptic proportions, you know. And so uh, as in with the book of Daniel, yeah. you know, we get Gabriel. This is a really important message and you get this kind of archangel in some senses. Yeah. And so it is interesting the way that that <laughs> Gabriel answers when he says, how can I be sure of this? And he says, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. <laughs> Why would, you know, I stand in the presence of God, which yeah. is about, you know, th- this sense of, is it's like almost like the inner circle of the yeah. of the divine council. Yeah. And in a um, previous it, uh, perspectives episode, yes. we talked about angelic beings in the divine council. Yep. So he's a particularly important uh, angel. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. <laughs> it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate. We make fun of this type of phrase, but it's the ultimate. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, ultimate right. celebrity move of don't you know who I am? Yeah. And and and, it, and and he's he's struck dumb. Yeah. He's dumbstruck. Uh, he's yep. not able to speak. Uh, so literally dumbstruck. Mm. Mm. He's not able to speak. And that's interesting because there's so much emphasis in all of the Gospels and as well in the Gospel of Luke on faith. 
yeah. you know, on, on the need for faith and to receive something by faith. Yeah. And there's almost this sense that until, until Zechariah can believe, you really don't have anything to say. Yes. You know. Yeah. And, okay. So let's, because again, we can spend all day and we're running out of time here. Yeah. So let's take that account of Gabriel giving yeah. a prophecy. Yeah. And now for something completely different, yeah. Zoom cut yeah. to this. We've gone from an old couple not being able to bear yeah. children to now we go to a young virgin yeah. who's betrothed and you know is visited as well by, yeah. <laughs> by yeah. Gabriel. Gabriel's busy here, yeah. uh, visited by Gabriel and and told something even more yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and this is that's right. So we get these two miraculous births foretold. So there's interesting uh, kind of patterning here, isn't there? Yeah. But for Mary, it's even more problematic because not only because uh, Ma- Mary's it's not that she's barren; she's unmarried. She's actually uh, a virgin. She's yeah. unmarried, and so he announces, "You are going to." Uh, well, he says, "Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you." Mm. Okay. So she's thinking. I don't know what she's thinking, but yeah. highly favoured to me would, you know, I'd be thinking, oh, something really great's going to happen to me. But then the highly favoured looks really strange to her mm. because he says, um, well, it says Mary was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and we will be called the son of the most high. Now, her biggest problem is, hang on, I'm, I'm a virgin. Yeah, I'm a virgin. How, how can this be? And he explains yeah. it's by the you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. And again, at first glance, we might go, well, hang on, Zechariah had a similar complaint to Gabriel going, hang on, I'm old and my wife's old. Yeah. You know, we've never been able yeah. to have kids. Da, da, da. Mary has a question as well. She's like, well, hang on, you know, I'm a virgin. I, I, I don't know, man. But, it, but it's such... Obviously, God and Gabrielle know that the faith is there, yeah. but the, you know it's not the same. There's no of rebuke. Yes. Uh, there's no rebuke for her because actually her her concerns are actually le- quite legitimate. Yeah. because she's unmarried. Yes, uh, and and so she's she's going to be a pregnant, uh, unmarried, pregnant girl, and she's really just a girl at this stage, probably just a teenager. And the, and the other as- the other can I can I just say here the other aspect here is that is that when I was reading it again. You you've already pointed it out that that God and you know God and His messenger Gabriel Gabriel says I'm answering your prayer you know yeah. God's heard your prayer Zachariah yeah. yeah you're going to have a baby yeah. now Mary's not sitting there going I hope <laughs> I have a baby while I'm a virgin she's not praying for this so yeah. she's obviously disturbed and confused and yeah. how's this going to happen so there's well, a yeah because she's thinking I'm going to get stoned yeah or, or something yeah you know I, I mean I, I, I'm so. There's lots of things going through her mind, but the her response when he says you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, this is going to, how that's going to happen. Um, her response, in contrast to Zechariah's, is "I'm the Lord's servant." Oh. Mary answered, "May your word to me be fulfilled." Unbelievable, like, you know. Yep. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's quite a contrasting approach. Then we get this story about how Mary visits uh, Elizabeth and. Um, and and the child, you know, she said the child in my womb leapt, you know, at the moment you, I mean, again, this is John. Beautiful. Uh, already this sense of anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. Mm. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to scoot through this. Yeah. And, and then we get the, uh, 
the birth. So, and then finally, we get the birth of John the Baptist. We, we're jumping over, and this is a classic Protestant thing to do. We're jumping over the, the Mary's song of praise. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying that facetiously. Yeah. You know, here it's a beautiful. It's known as the um, the magnificent, the magnificent. Yeah, magnificat. Yeah, the magnificat. Sorry, uh, Mary's song of praise. Beautiful song um, of, yeah. of of of, of Actually, Mary. That- yeah. Let, let me just address uh, something in that. Um, when Elizabeth says, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? Phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. Because she's already, there's the, somehow she is already aware of yeah. um, the fact that Mary is is going to conceive, as conceived and uh, given birth to, is going to give birth to the Messiah. Yeah. Now, some people say the um, term mother of God, which was... Uh, a big part of early Catholic theology and the idea of Mary as the mother of God mm. uh, is based on this verse. Now, the problem with this is that it's not – when he says, my Lord, mm. the word kurios there is – it's really the, a messianic title. It's not a divine. It's not saying that she's the mother of God there. It's yeah. saying that – The uh, mother of the Savior. The, the, the mother of the Savior. Yeah. I think that's an important point uh, to, to make there. Mm. Th- then we get the um, Mary's – you know, we get the Magnificat and – uh, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. And and again, and again, uh, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, we just want to be clear here. If you look at the theology contained in in that song, that beautiful theology, yep. Mary, Mary is 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 thanking God for her Savior as well, for her, His yeah. mercy, and putting herself on a ground with all of us. Yeah, that we can all sing. That's this right. Song. I mean, she's she is. You know, even though. This has probably brought her disrepute. You can imagine the rumours and Mary being pregnant, and yep. so this has actually brought her a lot of trouble. Mm. You know, probably, and yet she is rejoicing because she understands that her trouble is going to mean the salvation of Israel, mm. the salvation of the world. Mm. I mean, so already there's this Christ-like theme here. Her sacrifice, mm. you know, is is part of something bigger, and so she's not, you know, self-obsessed. She's very far from the self-obsessed yep. teenager. She's actually uh, rejoicing because, yes, this may have – I may be, you know, the the object of rumours and, and, and whatever and this may have brought me disrepute, which is inevitably the case. doesn't talk about that, but I think no. this is in the background. And yet she is rejoicing because, again, what has perhaps caused her trouble yeah. is going to bring salvation to many. And we And we get this beautiful – Generational, um, you understand why God chose Mary in one sense, and they Mary understands that that this savior, and we get this you know theme that I've already yeah. mentioned in Luke this picture of Jesus is concerned with the lowly, yeah, God yeah, is right. concerned yeah. with the lowly, he's, he's not concerned with the rulers, the haughty, the politicians, the kings, yeah. he's concerned with the lowly, right? And that comes out in the birth narrative yes. of, of Christ very much. So, we get the, we get the birth of John the Baptist, mm-hmm. uh, and Zachariah's prophecy, which is a messianic prophecy, amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, he highlights the you know, the covenant and and the fact that uh, God is. You know, bringing salvation for the people and forgiveness of sins, and that this is what John is going to announce. Yeah. Um, and then we get this, and then we get the uh, account of the birth of Christ. Beautiful. And you know, it's interesting that there is this 
this outcast theme, you know, they and people know the story uh, well, mm. um, you know, but she's, you know, she, it's the baby in a manger. She's in, uh, th- there's no room in, in the house, not, not the inn so much, but the house. Yes. Because, of course, there's this Jewish custom of, of you know, hospitality and there yep. just wasn't room. So she's basically in the area where the animals would have been kept. Mm-hmm. The animals' houses probably had areas for the animals as well. Um, and so th- this is all that r- they really had. And so there's this kind of outcast theme here. Um, and then the first group of people that the angels that I announce the the birth of Christ to are the shepherds. And the shepherds are the lowest, lowest class of society. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's interesting in, in, in Christian art that in the early sort of mosaics of the Christian period after Justinian, you, know, you get these grand depictions of Jesus in heavenly glory. And, and it was actually after the time of, uh, in the early Renaissance period when it was Giotto, the artist Giotto, that first depicted Jesus with the, with the shepherds mm. because it was St. Francis you know, the preacher to the poor that kind of revived this vision of Jesus born amongst shepherds. Uh, It was never really depicted like that, even though it was a fact. Yeah. So so he really, it was actually St. Francis that invented the nativity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, And because the nativity is Jesus with the animals and the shepherds, right? And that was controversial. Even in the the early Middle Ages, this is controversial. Well, you see all the artwork, you see the artwork of the period, and and what was commonly you know you, 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 these pictures of this holy mother with a king being yeah. born in a saintly yeah. court and it's all very royal yeah. and everything no no it was actually completely upside down on that yeah it that's was, right he was born in absolute squalor and filth yeah you know you know w- with a group of and that's and that's so important because there's this theme of Jesus coming to the lost you know mm. it's it's Luke that records the parable of the prodigal son yes. you know and and it's it's the it's the God who who comes to us in our squalor and our. This is this is the Jesus that Luke wants to emphasize. It's it's the the God who comes to us, and you know he's. It's like the vision of uh, Philippians chapter two. You know, leaving heaven and and coming to the squalor of this earth, and it's this beautiful sort of vision of this, isn't there? In this birth well, oh, narrative, hundred percent. And again, this is a theme throughout the rest of the yep. Gospel of Luke. Really quickly, from his birth, he gets uh, dedicated as a firstborn male child. We see that with uh, you know a sacrifice and everything. And the sacrifice is important because it's it's doves, that, uh, which is the provision. Um, that uh, just uh, every uh, to offer. I'm just trying to find a pair of a pair of doves or two pigeons, right? Yes. Yep. Now that's important because that was a provision made in the law for the poorest yes. people in Leviticus 12. Yeah. So if, if, you, if can't you can't afford, afford any, yes. yeah, if you yeah. can't afford anything else, yeah. then bring uh, just a pair of doves. And that's what Joseph and, that's, and Mary that's had. Joseph and Mary. So yeah. he's actually born into quite a poor uh, family. Yeah. So you get the contrast of. You know, these amazing prophecies, you get the contrast of him being born into the lowliest. And then the next scene we have, and this is again another beautiful part of the Gospel of Luke, we have Simeon and Anna. Yeah. These ancient, it's almost like two Old Testament (laughs) people just hanging on, hanging on. Yeah, you know, who who who, li- who basically live and they're the- they're waiting. There's there's so much anticipation. They're waiting for the kingdom, you know. And Simeon had this promise from God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, right? Mm. 
and and there he is. He's in the temple, and and he he, he moved by the spirits. Moved by the spirit, I should yeah. say. Not yeah. the, moved by the spirit, he recognizes. He, he goes into the temple courts, and he recognizes this Messiah. You know, God shows him. So there's again this this yeah. theme of of Jesus being recognized and, and and it's the same with Anna this prophetess Anna just, at the a, same a little, same situation a, a little point with Luke Luke these little things that a doctor would write yeah. I, like little points every now and then I just notice them with Simeon when he talks about Simeon uh, approaching Mary and Joseph it, he he gives a little detail like and then Simeon took the baby in his own arms yeah. like just yeah. you don't get those sort of visuals and in other yeah. in other stories it just rushes part but Luke is taking the time to really paint the picture that Simeon has been waiting there. He takes Jesus yeah. in his arms. He thanks God for him, basically yeah. saying, now I can die. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now I can go. I've seen the salvation yeah. here. And at the same time, we get this We get this prophetess, yeah. this woman, Anna, yeah. you know, who's been, you know, basically just dedicating herself to the temple, dedicating herself yeah. to God, coming this other <laughs> an old right. woman. So, so before, you know, before even John, yeah, uh, we we have we have these prophets that are have recognized this is the messiah and it even says here that um uh, uh that she tells everyone about it you know she goes tells everyone that yeah. god's messiah He's has here. come you know yeah. Uh, so this is a beautiful moment, and then of course we get, and, and we'll finish with this in this session. Yeah. But we get that great story about Jesus as a young boy in the temple, and and the conversations with the with the elders, and yeah. as a twelve year old boy, yeah. boy oh boy. I mean, I've got a twelve year old. I've yeah. got a twelve. My my boy is has just turned twelve, at my youngest, and to think, you know, we go on a family trip. With a whole bunch of family, cousins, yep. relatives, uncles, aunts. We think he's in another car. We yep. head home and then yeah. we realise, oh, no, we've, we've right. left yeah. him in Sydney. We've got to turn around and drive back. And we go back and we find him in the church. We find him in the temple with yep. the other scholars. Right. You know, in our in our, in our our worldview, it might be we find him, we found him in yep. the university or yep. we found him in the theological college yep. or we found him in – with where the learned yeah. people are, and, and already he's confounding them with with his wisdom and knowledge, and so yeah, you know this is such a anticipation. Uh, I love these details. This is what I love about the Book of Luke. Mm. I love the length. We get more detail yes. in the Book of Luke. Oh. It's it's much more of a story of a complete story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We and we get these. We get those little moments. Those and the word choices that he uses. Again, this is you know yeah. Like you've already pointed, you know, God, God taking the personality of Luke and the and the and the the, the 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 you know attention to detail that Luke has put in all the work, but then the Holy Spirit takes that in the inspiration that we have in the gospel here, and we see Mary rebuking her twelve-year-old son, saying, "Your father and I have been looking for you." Yeah, and he and he turns around and says, "I'm doing my father's work here." Yeah. Like those yeah, little good. points are so beautiful. Good stuff. Love it. Ooh, okay. There we go. Gospel Luke. We're only two chapters in, mate. <laughs> I, you know, but but it's it's such a it's such a beautiful expression of the way that God works. And you know, I think that that point about you know uh, God announces things. It's like God is speaking now. And and if you listen, if if we if we tune into God's word, then we will be ready for when we can be part of God's action. You know, if you want to be part yeah. of what God is doing, then listen to God, get into the word 
and that's the thing that prepares us to be a part of the wonderful things that God is doing. Doesn't it feel good to be back in the New Testament? I'm loving this journey through the Gospel of Luke. And I hope you are as well. Now remember, we have got a very special free offer for you. Your very own copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. If you've not subscribed, you've yet to take the plunge. Well, we want to give you this copy for free. All you need to do is head over to the thrivetoday.tv website, follow the instructions I gave you in the middle of the episode, and it's all yours. You can follow along with us online. We've got Facebook pages, Facebook groups, and even ways to financially support us all right there at thrivetoday.tv. Well, until a fortnight's time when we're back in the Gospel of Luke, I pray that you really are developing a deeper relationship with God through these podcasts. We'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>